0: How's everybody doing? Come on, how's everybody doing? It's a special night, ladies and gentlemen. How you guys doing? Thanks for being a part of this thing, Uncle Scotchy's storytelling extravaganza that started mid-pandemic, when everybody was scared to open their windows or do anything. And uh, Ben was nice enough to allow what he thought was a bad idea happen on his bar every Wednesday night. I'll never stop reminding you that he thought it was a bad idea. (laughs) Punish you for your honesty. But uh, this has been become a really cool thing for a lot of people. And I never imagined like how, what it would become. Um, if you're not aware, this is a Wednesday night, is a storytelling night. So I appreciate if you're telling stories to each other. If you're telling stories to each other, keep them down so that the storyteller can get through the story. We got four storytellers tonight. Who's flapping? Yeah, thanks. Cool. Just just, uh, just, dial it back a little bit. You can tell your stories a little bit quieter to people if you have to tell a story. Otherwise, there's a beautiful area outside as well that you guys can hang out because a lot of people are here actually to hear the stories. And it's not easy. A lot of these stories are very revealing. You'll find out how revealing soon. Uh, give it up for our sponsor, Breckenridge Bourbon. Ladies and gentlemen, coating my liver on a weekly basis with this stuff. It's been good. And um, cheese stands alone is very good food. And if you... Like the merch, Uncle Scotchy hats are for sale. But thanks, give it up again for Bar Nancy, ladies and gentlemen, for making this happen. And check the podcast at UncleScotchy.com if you can. So tonight is kind of an all-star thing. There's gonna be some redo stories that people have told before. And uh, the first one was one that really stuck out in a lot of ways, it was one of the first ones we had. And I'm stoked to have her back on, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get up, Miss Susie K. Taylor.
1: Um, hi everybody. Uh, thank you all for coming. It's so nice to see everybody here. Um, some people that actually know me know me and uh, some people who may, how, how, did anybody hear the story last time? Just had a, yeah? Okay, cool, cool. So I will tell it from my perspective as it is today, which as we know, time changes things, right? So the first time I told this story, which is part of a trilogy that I'm kind of creating called Boobs, Butts, and Botox. Yeah, so this is the butt part. And um, yeah, thank you, my butt. Um, uh, My name is Susie K. Taylor. I was born Suzanne Marie Kreitman. I go by Susie K. Taylor, but I've recently realized that I want to bring back my maiden name, so I'm going by Susie Kreitman Taylor. So hi, everybody. My name is Susie Kreitman Taylor. How are you? Yes, nice to see you guys. Thank you so much for coming out. Um, So I'm going to tell you a story about my butt and why I made a mold of it for my husband. Okay, here we go. So, I got to start a little bit about where I come from. So, I'm from Miami. I'm a native. And uh, thank you. I was born in Baptist Hospital. Yes, Baptist Hospitals. And um, my father was a doctor. And my father was an orthopedic doctor. So, it was all about mobility and body work and stuff like that. And when I was younger, he made it very clear to me that I should make a mold of my body because one day I won't look the way I look when I was 16 years old. And I guess some people might think that's strange for a father to say to them, but my dad was real. He was super real. He was like, you got a lot of things from your family. You got creative energy. You got powerful alpha female energy. And you got the Kripeman legs and the Kripeman butt. So... As you age, you know what I mean? It's not going to be so cute. And I was like, not me. I'll work out every single day, and I'll be really fit, and that'll never happen to me. So, um, you know, I go on about my life, and I have kids, and I get, well, I get married. I have kids. And I stop acting, and then I return to acting, and I start doing some theater and start doing some film. And sometimes when your agent doesn't get you some jobs, you have to get yourself some jobs. So you go online. And um, one of the places we go online as an actor is backstage. And backstage sometimes has castings. And I saw a casting for a yoga instructor. And I was like, okay, cool. So I went to this casting. And um, it was for a movie called Cuddles which actually was produced in Miami and ended up winning some awards at some festivals, which was great. And the writer and I believe the producer is here this evening, Janet, right here. So, so, here we go. So, how it goes in Miami, you know, when a backstage audition, you're like, okay, I'm just going to go to the audition. So, you walk in and you audition. And um, it was fun. It was really nice. And then I got a call back, which is great. So I get the call back. And then I get the part. I think there was a call back. Maybe in my mind there was a call back. And when I got the part, I went to her house again. And I started to um, notice that there were these beautiful molds of bodies on the wall. And they were just so gorgeous. They were like boobs and butts and like sides and i was like fascinated by them and while we were filming i was just like kind of noticing them all and just remembering my father and the mold idea and like i think it's time i think it's time for me to do a mold of myself and i was just imagining that i would do the mold of myself i wasn't thinking how this was going to happen and we're in the kitchen and i mentioned like wow these are so beautiful these beautiful bodies and these beautiful molds, and Janet says, oh, well, my husband Jorge does these molds, and I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, and I was like, oh, my husband would really like a mold of my butt, because my husband likes butts, and I would like a mold of my butt, and Jorge, who is also here, by the way, right here, right here, Jorge, he offers to do this mold now what's happening to me personally is that I'm acting but I'm simultaneously learning a lot about myself and being brave and being more of an artist maybe a performance artist and I'm thinking of this as this really cool opportunity to be brave as an artist so it's like a combo thing like Stephen's like don't buy me any gifts for our anniversary but I'm like this is the perfect gift for your anniversary. And on top of it, it's like an artistic expression. So it's like, it's a two for one, right? And uh, so I'm like, okay, so Jorge's like, do you want to do a mold? And I'm like, sure, I'll do a mold. But you know, we film the film, I go home, I don't think about it, and then I get a text. And I get a text and it says, okay, when would you like to do your mold? And I was like, I don't know, next week. We'll do the mold next week. Whatever. And I'm not thinking about it. I'm just thinking that's a thing I said I was going to do. Follow through with what you say you're going to do. You're going to do it. There we go. But the day of the mold, I'm like totally PMSing. I'm really upset. I had a fight with Steven. I don't want to do this mold anymore. I'm really not having it. And a friend of mine happens to come by to visit, and she's like, what are you doing today and i said i'm supposed to do this mold of my ass for my husband for our anniversary and she's like are you going to do it and i was so mad but because it was like the artistic expression part of it like that pushed me to do it so i was like i got to do it like i said i was going to do it i'm going to do it and then maybe it'll be for his birthday or our anniversary or something i don't know but i'm going to do it so she's like well i'll go with you i'll go with with you and so who she is, is Sophia. Sophie's like from my neighborhood. She's this beautiful, blonde, Swedish, Norwegian type of person. And she's gorgeous. And she's super kind. And she's like, I'll be your chaperone. I'm like, oh, OK. I need a chaperone. I didn't, I didn't realize that, but all right. So we go to the house. And Janet's like, hi. And I'm like, hi. She's like, Jorge's in the back. And I'm like, OK. So we go into his studio and uh Jorge's like okay so here's here's what I'm thinking I'm thinking that you do this pose and you just kind of like go like this and then I'm going to use this blue mold and we're just going to cover your butt and we're going to just cover everything and then that's the mold that's how it's going to look and I was like you know what I have a better idea how about like I lean up against the wall and I look back so it's like this one cheek is out, and it's like, it looks like I'm looking over my shoulder. And he's like, right, but it's only gonna be from here to here. And I'm like, I know, but it'll communicate that whole like cheeky vibe, you know? And Jorge, what a sweetheart. He's like, um, okay, sure. <laughs> sure, are you sure? I'm like, I'm sure, it's me. I'm an artist, I got it, this is what I want to do. So Jorge takes out this mold. It's blue, like, molding paint. And he says to me, this is really good mold. It really captures everything. And I'm like, awesome. This is great. So first he has Well, no, wait. First, I have to get naked with Jorge, who I have never really met before. But I'm cool. And I have a very bizarre point of view about my body. My body, in my mind, even though I've had two kids in many other situations, has not changed since I'm 16 years old. In my mind... My body is amazing. So when I get undressed, I'm like, Jesus, this is crazy. (laughs) Like, oh my god. (laughs) I'm like naked here, and like his wife is right next door. This is crazy. (laughs) And my friend is taking pictures, you know, of the whole thing. And my body's up against the wall, and I'm looking back. And he paints me like with this blue paint. And he's like this artist. So he's like, okay, here we go. And he paints me all, and it's cold, and he gets everywhere, like everywhere on me. And I'm like kind of freaking out, you know, but I'm kind of loving it. And then I'm thinking, what's Janet thinking? What is Janet thinking right now? Because the way my mind would work would be like, there's a naked lady in the room with my husband right now, and my mind would just spin out of control because I'm incredibly jealous and angry, and I'm such a jerk. And I would just go into this whole, like, rant in my head. But I'm thinking, she saw me come in. She told me her husband does this. That woman is so incredibly secure because I'm all this. And I am naked in her room with her husband is right there. And I'm just, like, having all my little weird fantasies. My friend's, like, taking pictures. There's blue goop dripping down my leg in between everything. And I'm, like, fantasizing about, like what an Adonis I am. Like just like the thoughts that are going through my head are just so powerful and lovely and gorgeous. And um, then he's like, you have to freeze in this pose that you chose for five minutes. And I was like, <laughs> I do fitness all the time. I'm good. Five minutes frozen in a weird over the, <laughs> it's like, I'm not really sure how to do this. Let me see. Like it's very, and you can't really like, but you're clenching a little bit, you know? So you're like, and it's cold, and you're trying not to breathe, and you're just thinking, how bizarre. And eventually, Jorge's like, okay, we're good. And he pulls it off and it like suctions off my body and like blue stuff is still dripping. And I'm like, now all of a sudden, like I've woke up out of the fantasy and I'm really aware of what's happening. And I'm completely shy and I'm like trying to get dressed. And he's like, would you like to take a shower? I'm like, no, I don't want to take a shower. I'm, I'm good. And I'm walking out. I grab my friend. We run, run, run. And I'm like, oh my God, I did it. I just was naked. Got a mold of my ass. I'm like, just like my father said, I did it, I'm good, I'm good. And I totally forget about it, and then I get a call. Your sculpture is ready. And I'm like, oh, and I'm in a good mood, and we're not fighting, so I'm like, hey Steve, I have a surprise for you. I am going to take you to your surprise. And he's like, I don't do presents, we don't do presents, you don't do good presents. You never give presents that I want. You give presents that you want me to want. I don't want to go with you. I'm like, no, but this is the perfect present. You are going to love this present. So we, we both drive over to Janet and Jorge's house. And we get out. And they say hi. And I say hi. And they lead us back to this room. And uh, there's this uh, covered sculpture And I'm like, is that my butt? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, that's your butt. So they unveil it. (laughs) Are you ready for this? Because I don't know if I'm ready for this. Are you ready? Should I do it? (laughs) All right, okay, 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 here we go. This this is my ass. Do we see what's happening here? Now, let me set the room again. I'm going to set the room. Now, my husband is there. Janet is there. Jorge is there. And I'm there. And we're looking at my ass. And it is nothing, nothing like what I imagined in my totally distorted point of view of my body. And uh again I had this outer body experience and everything that I had at that moment, remember? This moment? Like this whole thing, like I'm so fucking hot, like oh my god. All of that just disappears and um all of a sudden I realize who I am and that my father was right and I should have done it earlier. And damn, those fucking Kreitman genes of fucking cellulite. And isn't cellulite angry? How angry am I that I have this much cellulite on my fucking ass? And all these things are going through my head. And then I realize that Stephen, my husband, is standing right next to me. So maybe I'm just, like, making all this up. Like, maybe what I'm seeing... They're not seeing. Maybe this is all distortion, you know, body image issues, right? Maybe this. And I look at Steve and he. He just kind of, yeah. That's your ass. And in that moment, in that understanding of reality, I just disappeared. And. um. Who I thought I was, I was not anymore. Like you know, like when do you realize that you're not that anymore? At that moment, I was not that anymore, and uh, that was hard and real. And I I was nice to Jorge and, and Janet, and I said thank you. <laughs> what do you say to people who like give you this much truth about yourself? Thank you. I am dead now. Um, and I took this, this, uh, butt, I put it back in the box that they gave me. I took it to my house and I put it under my bed. And I was just so ashamed of this, this part of me. I was so ashamed of what I thought I was compared to what I am. I thought maybe it was the pose. Maybe I shouldn't have posed. Maybe... I was telling a friend about it, and she's like, what kind of mold did he use? And I said, he used this mold that he said they use for dentures? And she's like, that, that mold catches everything, Susie. Like, every pocket, every detail, every truth. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, it did. It really, really did. And she's like, you can spackle it. You can just spackle this whole thing. And, and it'll look great. Cause in my mind, I wanted to hang it. It was supposed to be hung. And I was like, no, I'm not going to spackle it because I'm, I'm becoming an artist, a performance artist. And a performance artist is all about truth. And if I spackle that, then it's not truth. So I'm just going to deal with it. And, um, one day I don't even, I was looking under my bed. I saw the box and I opened it and it didn't, Feel so bad anymore. And I saw it, and I was like, you know what? That's my ass. Maybe when I'm 80, I'm going to look at that ass and be like, that's an awesome ass. That's a fucking awesome ass. Maybe maybe I'll look back and be like, yes, Suze, good job that you did that at 46 years old. So I took this butt, and I thought, where am I going to put it? I'm going to put it somewhere in the house. I'm going to put it up. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to make other people look at my butt. That's what I do. So I took it, and I put it outside because there was a pot. And I put it in the pot so I could see my butt right by the pool. And when my kids go swimming, they see my butt. And when my kids' friends go swimming, and they say, Whose butt is that? My kids say, That's my mom's butt. And that's really cool. And so, I just want to say that this is my ass, <clears throat> and I'm going to sign it today. Um, it's been out in the, in the, in the uh, weathered air of Miami, and now I kind of think like it's very David looking, you know what I mean? Like it's super like authentically art, and so in a symbolic means of going from an actor to a performance artist, do you guys know the difference between an actor and a performance artist? Me neither, until I finally looked it up. And here's the difference. Actors tell, like, lies about, you know, and characters to reveal truths, right? But performance artists, they tell truths about themselves so that we can all figure out what our lies are about. Are you ready? I'm becoming a performance artist at this exact moment in front of your eyes. One... 2 I'm sorry, Jorge, it's happening, <laughs> S, right there, K, T. Here we go. I think I should. This is for sure what I am. I've. The one thing I will tell you that I've learned about myself after all this self-awareness stuff is I am a complete asshole. I think horrible things all the time about myself and other people, and then I realize I'm thinking about those things, and I think, wow, that was really mean. And then I think, you don't need to think that, but you are an asshole. And I'm like, yeah, that's how it is. So that's my ass. That's my story about my butt. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
0: Susie Kreitman taylor ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for her again, ladies and gentlemen. That, That she actually told the story better the second time. Not not only with the props, but you told it better, which is really, which is really nice. Give it up to her. And the whole theme of the storytelling extravaganza is to tell a true story and about you. She definitely checked both boxes, ladies and gentlemen. So give it up for her one more time. Welcome to part two. Thank you. Of the storytelling extravaganza. I told a lot of heavy stories during this, during this time. Um, told a lot of heavy stories at this time. I'm not going to make anybody cry tonight. I'm going to tell kind of the, the, the lighter one that uh, people have asked for the most. Yeah, I know. Alexa ran out of tears on me already. So I'm going to start right now. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're telling stories to each other, just kind of keep it down so I can get through this. It makes, it makes it a lot easier. Thank you. Getting old is a motherfucker. Getting old is a motherfucker. But as my father used to say, it beats the alternative. I was playing a gig at Lagniapp, one of my favorite places to play with my band Juke, uh, one night with, uh, with my guys. And it, Lagniapp is a three-set occasion, all right? And then in between sets, everybody kind of goes outside and hangs out and smokes weed and chills. And uh, this was the, before the last set was about to start. I'm finishing my cigarette. my guys go inside. And I see this little blonde girl, this little cute blonde girl that was dancing to the to our music the whole time, and uh, she rolls up, and she looks up to me, and she goes, uh, "Tell me three interesting things about yourself." <laughs> I'm like kind of drunk, kind of stoned. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, my mom's dead, my dad's dying, and I used to teach tennis for a living. <laughs> That's what came out of my fucking mouth, and uh, I guess that. Worked, because uh, we started talking, and uh, she seemed pretty engaged. and But I got to play. So I give her one of my cards for my band with a website so she can see when we're playing. I'm like, my number's on there, you know, shot in the dark, if you ever have any questions about what. Um, <laughs> so I go in, and I play a couple songs, and she leaves. I'm like, I'm never going to see her again. And I remember I was driving home with Marcel, and uh, I got to... I got a text from her. Awesome. So we're texting all night. We're texting all night long. So uh, I ask her, you know, I'm like, hey, do you ever want to come over and have some dinner? She says, well, I'm busy tomorrow. I can come over the night after. Fuck, yes. So I get ready to prepare my my classic first date meal. It's uh, maple chipotle salmon. That's my jam. Sounds complicated. Sounds exotic. It's pretty simple. It's salmon, maple syrup, soy sauce, chipotle peppers, marinate it, then you render down the marinade till it's kind of like a glaze, put the glaze on some mashed potatoes and asparagus, boom, master chef. Keep it down a little bit, please, during the stories. Um, So what happened is um, I'm getting ready for this. I go and I go to the liquor store, I get uh, the salmon all this stuff, and then I go to the liquor store, I get a big bottle of Jameson, and I'm in the kitchen prepping, I'm in the kitchen prepping, and I fuck my back up. Really, really bad. How? Ask me how I fuck my backup. Sneezing. I sneezed. That's something that happens when you start getting older. You can have a bad sneeze and it fucks your whole but here's the thing. At this time I'm 47. This girl's 22. I'm not calling this 22-year-old and telling her that I fucked my backup. Can we reschedule? I'm not getting any younger, time running out of time. So, I'm like, okay, I'll soldier through. She'll she'll show up, and I'll just make sure I stay on my feet, no getting up and sitting down and making that sound. Um, (laughs) Can't. So, I'll stand up through, like, the majority of the date while I'm cooking, and we'll have some drinks, and by that time, maybe the the Jameson will uh, numb the pain. And then after I sit down, I'll just wing it, improv from there, whatever. So, she comes over. She looks gorgeous. And um, (laughs) we're hanging out. I'm talking. It's going well. I'm cooking. I'm cooking. She's talking. I say something funny. She kind of laughs and gives me one of these, like, little pat on the shoulder things. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I feel myself going down. I can't catch myself. I'm like, no, 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 no. I go, I fall down on the fucking kitchen floor. And she's (laughs) laughing at me like, you know, It's fun. And I'm all, <laughs> and I'm thinking in my head, I don't know how I'm gonna get back up without asking for her help, but I'm not asking for her help. I don't know what I'm gonna do. This is a problem. And then, then the Lord intervened. She had to go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh God. So she goes to the bathroom, and then my kitchen turns into the ring from the last scene in Rocky II, when remember when Apollo and uh, Sylvester Stallone had to like. Whoever got up first on the ring ropes, you know? And actually, I wore the shirt as a tribute. That's them training in uh, Apollo and, uh, and Rocky training in uh, Rocky 4. So I look over and I have these three drawers with handles. And I, so I crawl over to the drawer. I get on the first ring and I hear the toilet flush. I'm like, oh shit. And I'm on the second ring, you know? it's listening. And I get on the third ring. And I hear the door open, I hear little feet going down the hall. And I finally I got up right when I get up. She walks in, I'm fine, I did it, I pulled it off. Awesome. Yes, I won, Adrian. <laughs> totally. So everything goes pretty well. We sit down, um, I'm drinking more than usual, which is a lot. To compensate, and she's keeping up with me, which is weird because she's 22 and I drink a copious amount. You don't get the name Uncle Scotchy for nothing. Next thing I know, I wake up. I guess I didn't close the curtain. The sun's in my face. I feel on my face. I look up, and there she is, on my chest, looking at me, smiling, and she's just wearing panties. I guess we just made out and fell asleep. And I'm like, I kind of want her to go, but, you know, <laughs> my, my back still hurts. But she's there. She's smiling. and I don't know what to do. She's like, can you make me some coffee? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'll make you coffee. So I go over, and I need coffee, too. I make her some coffee. We start talking. I'm trying to move around, like, without making sounds again. And uh, I make her a second cup of coffee. We keep talking. Things are going really well. And she's still fucking naked walking around my house like nothing. And... Uh, we have a third cup of coffee, all right? Three cups of coffee in the morning. Then we're back on my bed. We're making out, and I'm like, oh, shit. This is going to happen. We're going to have sex. I better figure this out so she's on top, because I damn sure can't pull this off on top <laughs> with well, my back and my old. So she's on top of me, and the, the, the sun's shining through the window, long blonde hair everywhere. This is awesome. Like, this is going great. Then I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, shit. I'm going to come. And then I look at her, I'm like, oh shit. She's gonna come too. This is great. First time, we're gonna come at the same time while I'm crippled, what are the fucking odds? This is great. This is going, this is going. I'm wearing a condom, by the way. Uh, This is going, this is going. And I felt a sensation that I've never felt. I didn't know it was a thing or it could be a thing. As soon as I come due north, (laughs) to the west, my ass goes (laughs) At the exact same time, like a 90-degree angle. This is the most horrible sound. And it wasn't one of those farts. It's like, one, two, three, you smell it. No, immediate stinging the nostrils. And she's looking down at me, and she's on top of me. And I look up, and the only thing I can... I have my hands over my face, and I say the only thing I can think to say is, Oh, no! (laughs) I throw her off of me, literally. She still gives me shit. Threw her into the wall off of me. Run to the bathroom. I thought I painted a Picasso on the wall with my ass for sure. I run to the bathroom, check my work. Turns out it was just air, but I mean, the damage is done. This is horrible. I come back in with like sage that I had lit. And she's on the ground by my bed to the side. I'm like, did I kill her with my fart? What happened? She's... And then she turns around and she's laughing. Tears are flowing out of her eyes. And she looks at me, she goes, I think I love you. And she moved in two days later and stayed with me for a year and a half. So like my father used to say, Getting old's a motherfucker, but it beats the alternative. Thanks a lot, people. We got Marcel Salas coming up in a few minutes. I appreciate it. Enjoy yourselves. This is not the same. It's not Susie. It's so sad without your butt, without your truth and your butt. Thanks to Susie again for telling her story, ladies and gentlemen. Who thought they were going to see a mold of a butt tonight? I don't think so. Ladies and gentlemen, the next storyteller tonight, uh, for a bass player, is surprisingly talkative. And uh, (laughs) he's not really a bass player, but he is. He's my bass player. He plays pretty much everything better than anybody. But he's that. He's kind of become a really uh, a big part of the storytelling extravaganza. He's, he's uh, showed up most weeks, less lately, fucker. But uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But uh, he's really good at telling stories and he told this one story that I really liked and I asked him to come back here for the all-star thing. So ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Marcel Salas, ladies and gentlemen. Nice
2: hat, nice hat. Uncle Scotchy. All right. I actually was in like, I think I was in a CVS the other day, and someone's was like, What's he, What does your hat say? I was like, Uncle Scotchy. He's like, Is that your name? No, it's a friend of mine, but whatever. I'm not, I didn't explain it to her because I was, you know, whatever. Buying Gatorade or whatever. Uh, all right, so this is uh, supposed to be the Storyteller All Stars. We're telling stories that Eric asked us to retell here. So I'm telling this one again, and I'm figuring out how I can make it better. Cause you know, first story, like she made her story better. Like there was a literal ass on stage. I'm not sure I can put a literal ass on, I mean I could put a literal ass on stage. You guys don't want to see that. (laughs) Um, And then Eric's story, honestly, I think you just had your punchlines fucking down like the timing was beautiful and you nailed it uh my story is a very kind of like I feel like I was doing a lot of name dropping the first time I told this story but at the same time it is a good story and I have to name drop to tell the story so I'm just gonna sprinkle these names along this story and and it is what it is ladies and gentlemen uh I am a musician. I have played many different gigs throughout my life, and somewhere around my mid twenties, I got hired to be the bass player for Pitbull. Uh, uh, fucking three o. What does he say? Three o five. It, it became like, wait, but it like it evolved. Like it became like from like Mister Three O Five to like what like Planet Three O Five, and then uh stripper 305 was that the third one or i'm not sure uh so when i was (laughs) mr worldwide when i was about uh 25 years old my friend who was the md for pitbull's live band an md is a musical director which means he ran the rehearsals and he kind of like uh, guided the way that the live show was supposed to occur so I get the gig. Uh, I mean, I was reluctant on taking it, to be honest. Uh, I'm not a very pit bull kind of guy. I'm actually, a, I, I played heavy metal for a bunch of years, and right around that time is right when my metal band was, like, blowing up. But uh, heavy metal doesn't pay a lot of money. I don't know if you knew this. Um, when you're screaming about fucking goats and Satan and whatever the fuck, like... <laughs> It's hard to make a paycheck out of that, but uh, I really did enjoy it, and at that time in my life, I needed the extra money, so this seemed like quite the business venture for me, and and it seemed like something interesting to me to be able to join, like, a very popular band of something that I completely despised and pretend to be okay with it for a little while to make a paycheck. <laughs> So um, I didn't actually play with him for that long. I think I was part of the Pitbull live band for eight months. Uh, the beginning of that was some rehearsals that he didn't go to because apparently Pitbull did not go to any rehearsals at all. Rehearsal, uh, uh, rehearsal was composed of this. We'd sit around a room, he'd come up with a set list, and then we'd just play along to the tracks. And then it turns out that that's what the live show was too. <laughs> Literally, the live show was a DJ spinning the song and the band like kind of playing along to it uh, at kind of a lower volume than the DJ too, which was a little bit embarrassing. Um, there's so many little mini stories that go along with this story. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna try to follow the route that I took the first time the first terrible, horrible thing that happened. I guess it wasn't that terrible, but I laughed at him forever about it. Uh, So we're we're in the airport, we're waiting to catch our flight. Uh, I think it was to go to Venezuela. Um, Sitting around in the airport and, you know, my usual airport shtick is I sit around and I pull out a book and I read a book. That's normal, right? (laughs) <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I pull out a book I start reading a book and literally Pitbull looks at me and goes hey what are you doing man I'm like what I'm, so- I'm sorry he's like what don't you You're reading <laughs> like yeah man do you, you want to know what I'm reading he's like no man bro no don't, don't do that though he's like what he's like yeah no no that's, that's not a good look that's not a good look. Like, we don't want anyone being seen reading a book. <laughs> that was my first sign that this is, this is going to end really poorly for me. Uh, but the paychecks were fucking golden, so I, I hung out for a minute. This was the first sign that, like, yep, I do not belong here, and I do not, I'm not going to go along with these people. This is going to be terrible. But I still, the carrot was dangling, and yeah, I had some bills to pay, and so I followed the carrot down the rabbit hole. And, uh, all right, so a couple of the next terrible things that happened. I would say that, like, him not showing up to rehearsals was pretty hilarious for me. Like, I've never been in a band where the singer was like, nah, I mean, you guys just, you know, just go ahead and rehearse without me, and I'll just show up at the show. And it makes sense because all we were doing is playing along to the track. So why would he even have to rehearse with us? Like, it didn't even make any sense at that point. Uh, But it just felt like I was part of something that paid a lot more money than it was worth being part of. Uh, (laughs) Here's the beginning, right? So uh, eight months of this stuff, there was some flyouts. There was some interesting uh, kind of like local gigs we did. I would say one of the weird local ones was we played a Marlins game. So so like it was like this weird thing of like people trying to act like he was a bigger celebrity than he was and I'm seeing all this like inside like I see the functionings of these pop artists and how they manipulate people around them to believe that what's happening is actually more interesting than it actually is. Or more intelligent, like the whole facade of having a live band playing along to a record legitimizes the musical performance, doesn't it? But we all knew that it was just like, yeah, he's paying all of us just to seem like he's actually doing something when he's not doing anything. Uh, (laughs) The Marlins gig was funny because... It was all like a facade, like we were all supposed to act a certain way. And I started noticing that they were asking us to act a certain way. And we, when we weren't acting that certain way, she, he had people that worked for him that would just be watching and be like, oh, that guy's acting lame. Like you need to go up and tell him, hey, man, why don't you, uh, you need to straighten up your posture a little bit and why don't you put your glasses up and tuck your shirt in. Oh, your hair, your hair looks fucked up. Oh, it's step this way. No, step this way. No, stand like this. Oh, now you look cool. <laughs> like literally three or four people that were just there to make sure everyone looked cool. My mind was blown. I've never, i like I I purposefully try to not look cool all the time. So for somebody to be con- consistently correcting my like I'm I stand like that for a reason. Oh, I'm standing. All right, I'm standing straight now. Fuck. Or oh, look in your eyes. All right, great. So, so all of this stuff kind of started building up into a certain point of uh, my little mini career with him. Uh, there's one good, kind of good story that I have here, which is uh, combined with the bad story. There's two of them. All right. So I was on national television twice. Once was the Ellen DeGeneres show. The other one was the, uh, the late night show when Conan had taken over for Jay Leno. Now, the Ellen, the Ellen one was cool. Uh, honestly, I was a little bit starstruck. So, like, when the starstruck shit actually hits you, it's like a drug, and you forget how terrible what you're doing is. Like, you kind of go like, oh, yeah. Oh, fuck, look. Celebrities everywhere. There's cheeses. There's, there's, a, there's a fucking, like, a whole cooler of, like, Stella and there's, there's a PS4, and there's a fucking, like, ah, this is this is not bad, all right? This is not bad. Like, for the moment, you're like, this is not bad. And I kind of get it why they do that, because the industry is so fucking evil that you need to be consistently reminded of the things that you're distracted by, right? Like, they're, like, dangling shit in front of you, so you don't look at the horrible person that hired you that's standing behind you, Right? so Ellen DeGeneres story Uh, somebody mentioned earlier today uh, something about Ellen or she was on the news and I was like going like she was a terrible person to us my mom is a huge Ellen fan and I waited for like 45 minutes on the little red carpet like I played her show and I waited on the little red carpet for Ellen to come by because I really wanted to let her know how much my mom loved her So her fucking jaguar pulls up and she just walks through and we're all like, hey, uh, 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 all right, I guess not. And she was gone. Like, she didn't give a fuck. She was out of there. Like, I looked in her eye and she was like, don't even. Don't talk to me. I hate my life. I hate my job. I'm in fucking hell. This is prison. Please release me from this fucking hellish prison. So that's what Helen's eyes said to me. Uh... That gig was okay. That was my walk away from that one. Then you have your uh, Conan O'Brien show. So the cool part about the Conan O'Brien, and this is why I, like, warned you about the name-dropping shit. Here's the name-dropping part of the show, ladies and gentlemen. So we're doing... Thank you. We're doing uh, the Conan show. The guest is Norm McDonald. And uh, I remember being in the, in the green room... I was already kind of, like, used to it by then. <laughs> Second national show. I was like, yeah, whatever. Fuck. Yeah, of course they have a PS4. <laughs> fucking cooler full of beer. I don't care. Uh, so we're sitting, back, we're sitting backstage, and when you're backstage in the green room um, waiting for your turn on the show, you get to watch on the screens all the other guests. So it's kind of like this whole experience of, like, sitting there and watching a show that you're normally used to sitting on your couch at home watching and you're part of it, and you're waiting for your turn to be part of the show. I'm aware of how magical that is, yet there's still so much crappiness about that gig that it like sucks out all the goodness from that little moment of like, yeah, I'm on a national television show. So what really ruined it for me is I realized all the people that I was on this gig with, uh, all the Pitbull people, the dancers, who did I mention the golden dancers to earlier? I was showing them the video. And there's these dancers that come out, and they're all dressed in gold, you see, dancing. Uh, and uh, so, so part of this whole thing is that we were finished with our set. We go outside, out back. Um, Norm MacDonald had his eye on the dancers. And he came out to meet us because he wanted to introduce himself to the dancers and offer them a joint of cannabis. And so he's standing around like waiting for them to come out. It was the creepiest thing, and yet this is like one of my fucking comedic heroes. And he's like googly-eyed over the dancers that were dancing for Pitbull. So the way the story works out is he's waiting for them to come out, and he basically like, hey girl, hey, what's, uh, how you you ladies doing? Do Do you smoke weed? And they were all like immediately like, no, no. We don't. And while we were in the green room watching his set, they were all like, oh, my God, he's terrible. Like, he's the worst. And I was watching his set going, he's fucking genius. Are you kidding me? He walked on to Conan with a newspaper. Look this episode up. He literally sat on the couch next to Conan with a newspaper and was creating, like, bits out of whatever he was reading in the newspaper. I was like, he's doing, like, a fucking, like, improv, like, Exercise here on national television because he's so stoned he doesn't give a fuck. This is fucking magnificent, and you're saying that he's bombing? I hate you. Then we walk outside and he's like, hey, ladies, you wanna smoke weed? And they're like, ew. And we all immediately run up to Norm McDonald, going, we'll smoke weed with you, Norm McDonald. Are you fucking kidding me? These girls just shut you down. You're a national star, and you just got shut down by the dancers that were waving their butts in front of me 20 minutes ago. Yes, we will smoke weed with you, Norm MacDonald. So we start smoking Norm McDonald's weed. It was so fucking strong, I was like, oh, I get it. He's just high as shit all the time. Like, he's just so gone that everything is just like, he doesn't care whether you find it funny or not. He's just trying to make himself laugh. It made his comedy even more fucking valuable to me at that moment. Uh, But he also said, hey, you guys are pretty cool. Do you guys want to come hang out at Tom Green's house later? We're like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing uh, Tom Green's uh, internet show later i mean you guys seem pretty chill you guys should come hang out so here's where the entire pitbull band split in two (laughs) the people that are that still ended up playing for pitbull were like who no he was terrible i don't want to go tom green is that that guy that hangs hangs sausages from the ceiling (laughs) no no we're not going there and then all the guys that eventually left the band within the next three months were like fuck yeah we're going to tom green's so it just kind of shows you like the, the, the you know you have to have the right demographic and you have to like your demographic is everything and when you have a mixed demographic your band's gonna split immediately when norm mcdonald invites you to smoke weed with tom green so half of the band fucking splits immediately to go smoke weed with norm mcdonald and tom green why the fuck wouldn't we uh, so I show up at Tom Green's house, knock on his door. Tom Green answers the door. Now you're talking to somebody who loves Tom Green. I f- like he's like pre Tim and Eric. Like to me, Tom Green started Tim and Eric type of comedy. Like this whole like really absurd, reductionist, weird. Like he walked into a fucking store and like poured a bottle of mustard in his mouth, dressed like a fucking cow. I love this dude, this guy's like my hero, and he's answering the door, very nice. Hey, how's it going? I'm Tom Green, come inside my house. Come hang out, do you want a beer? He had a beer in his fridge. He offered me a beer from his fridge. He gave me a tour of his house. I'm talking like Tom Green now, he's Canadian. It's like, "Oh, check it out. this is my house." And you know this is my living room. We have the whole thing set up. So he had the whole setup for the live show. He had like a bleachers in his living room, and he had the little desk and everything. And then he takes me out onto the balcony, and we're looking on the balcony. There's a bunch of people hanging out his house. We're smoking weed. I'm smoking weed now with Tom Green on the balcony. And we're looking across the valley. This is in like Beverly Hills. And then we see a fire. <laughs> this is right when the fire started. No one had seen one yet. And we're like, what the fuck is that? He's like, he's like, I think that's a fire. <laughs> there was literally the fires were starting that night, that moment. And we were like, okay, I guess that's a fire. Somebody will put it out. And then the rest of the night occurred. And little did we know that's where the great fires of L.A. started that fucking night. Uh, all right, so... So we go back inside, and it turns out that Tom Green's producer was, uh, oh, frick, what's this other guy's name? Rob, uh, (laughs) Rob Schneider's brother, (laughs) was Tom Tom Green's, like, internet show producer, and he just looks like Rob Schneider, but fat. It's like, I'm already, like, I'm high from smoking with Tom Green. Like, I've had a few beers from his fridge that he offered me. Fat Rob Schneider is, like, directing the show. And then we all sat on these bleachers. We watched him interview Norm MacDonald and a few other people. It was a magical fucking night. So that's my name-dropping part of the story. Uh, now's where it gets bleak. So this is, how I, <laughs> this is how I ended up getting fired from Pitbull. All right? That night was great. And as I just told you, this whole thing happened with the people that no longer worked for Pitbull pretty soon after that um the next trip was brazil we had a fly out to no sorry oh yeah there's two venezuela then brazil so venezuela we got a fly out to do this festival that was put on by the venezuelan government um everybody showed up we're all waiting in the hotel room pitbull didn't show up now i was a little scared because like, there was, like, only, like, one option at the restaurant. Like, yeah, you can either have this or nothing. And I was like, this is a little weird. And uh, it was Tequeño's? That's not a meal. Just, just saying. Well, it can be. But when it's your only option, you feel a little fucked when robbed, you know what I mean? Uh, so we already started realizing, like, it was Barquisimeto in Venezuela. We started realizing that the town was a little funny when they had three sections of the city that uh, traded electricity. So only one-third of the city got electricity at a time. And we were happening to stay in the part of the city that was for, like, tourists or guests. And so we had electricity the whole time in our hotel. But we could literally see from the hotel the electricity shift places every eight hours. There was also just nothing but fucking Chavez on the TV. Like, you would literally flip the channel ten times and was Chavez, 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 Happy Chavez, Sad Chavez, Fat Chavez. It was fucking every Chavez you could imagine. It was just Chavez all day on the TV. This guy wasn't showing up. Um, and then there was, I think, on the third day or fourth day of Pipple not showing up. The reason he didn't show up was because he double-booked himself with the MTV Music Awards and with this government-run Venezuelan music festival. So third day happens, uh, and everyone's kind of getting worried, and we don't know what's going on. Everyone's there. The entire crew is there except for him. And uh, I think somebody... Like, calls my hotel room from their hotel room. Like, hey, man, look outside your peephole. I'm like, what the fuck, bro? Really? Look outside your peephole? Like, yeah, look outside your peephole right now. <laughs> you go up to the door. I look outside the peephole, and there's a military guy standing outside the door. With the biggest gun I had ever seen in my entire life. You're talking like, it's, I don't even know, like, it looks like the kind of shit that should have been on a turret. And he's just standing there holding it. And he's like, what do you see? I'm like, F- oh, a fucking military guy with a gun? He's like, yeah, we got one, too. And then we start calling all the other guys in their rooms, and yeah, it just so happens that every one of our rooms had a military guy with the biggest gun you've ever seen standing outside of it. So it starts getting a little real at this point. Um, the conversations are going back and forth. Nobody can leave their room. I was in my room by myself, and all I got was occasionally a phone call like, yeah, I don't know. All right, I'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> then I finally got a, I finally got one of the phone calls that were like, hey, man, we might have to leave off of our balcony and get on a helicopter. To leave the country I'm like what alternate universe am i fucking living in right now okay so we have military that are stopping us from leaving they're holding us hostage they're literally holding us hostage fucking guys standing with guns in front of our doors and they're telling me yeah we might have to jump out the balcony and and jump into a helicopter All right, uh, so we might have to jump into a helicopter. I'm like, all right, that's fine. I mean, whatever. I mean, you know, I'll just strap on my base and climb down. No, 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 no. No, you have to leave everything. This is when my brain went, uh, wait it out. I think I would stay. I think I would stay. And let me tell you why I would have stayed. I like that bass a lot. (laughs) It was my Zahn. It's the one I use with Juke freaking every week. Like, they literally were about to have me leave it in the hotel room to get on a helicopter to go across the border so that we could safely leave South America. And immediately in my brain, I said, nope. Nope. If it comes down to that, I will gladly duke it out with the Venezuelan government. And I'll let them know Pipple is a fucking piece of shit you can post it all over you can put my face on it i don't care you call my family in miami they'll fucking come get me i'll swear to god like i don't pledge allegiance to this piece of shit at all luckily the next day everything got settled and uh i guess he promised them he would come back he never did but we got out of there <laughs> all right i got one more little pipple piece for you guys and this is kind of the reason why i I got fired and and why I left. This part of the story is in Brazil. It was in, uh, uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Sao Paulo. So we had this uh, little mini concert in Sao Paulo. It's actually one of the biggest shows I've ever played. There was about 30,000 people. Um, And we had rehearsed (laughs) without him for this show. And uh, we had this big show, and I was, first of all, very disillusioned with that city. Uh, I stayed in the hotel. I like drinking beer and whiskey, and apparently one beer in that hotel was about 30 U.S. Yeah, so they were basically like, yeah, you like to get drunk? That's not ever going to happen. You don't have enough money to actually—you <laughs> don't have enough money to get drunk, so good luck, buddy. So I was already in a bad mood that trip, honestly. Uh, we didn't have a lot of per diem, which per diem is like, I don't know for you non-touring or business people, it's money you get every day to spend on stuff. I think they gave me like 20 bucks a day and a beer was 30 bucks. I couldn't even afford one beer with one day worth of per diem. So we did this show. A bunch of things went wrong in the show. I think a couple of the people in the band were a little bit drunk. And uh, honestly, I didn't give a shit, but we <laughs> Uh, it was uh, vodka and guarana was the drink of the time. Yeah, it was kind of like, uh, I don't know what you call that shit, but it's vodka and Sprite or some shit. So <laughs> so, um, so, we do this show, things go wrong. I, I step outside the stage and uh, back then Pitbull had this manager named Purple. Purple was the tour manager for Two Life Crew. Purple was a big dude, like big dude, like three twenty six seven. Big dude, um, and basically I walked out of that uh, stage. I walked into the the back tent. You know, I'm pouring myself another vodka and guarana because that's all there was. And I was like, "Hey, man, you know that was a good set or whatever, but you know this or I think I mentioned something that went wrong." and i remember him going hey hey and let me talk to you real quick <laughs> i'm like all right he walks me outside he grabs me by my neck and he picks me up against the wall like literally holds me very easily against the wall and he says if you ever say anything about something going wrong in front of pit again i'll end you Puts me down like a freaking forklift. And uh, I'm like, well, all righty then. Uh, So that happened. Uh, I'm never going to say anything to anyone ever again in my life. That's great. So I'm walking around, like, just with my tail between my legs for the rest of the night. And they wanted to have a hangout. And they, like, oh, we're we're all hanging out at Pitt's room. I was just feeling so, like, holy shit. I feel, like violated and they were all just hanging out and like yeah we're hanging out whatever i'm up there and i'm sitting and they're like pouring out more vodka and guarana and uh i'm at a certain point like after like maybe an hour of sitting there and trying to pretend like that shit didn't fucking happen i'm like hey guys and i'm feeling a little tired i'm gonna go back to my room oh yeah no problem man all right we'll see you tomorrow i go back to my room i go to sleep I wake up to a phone call from the drummer, who was the MD, and he basically says, hey, man, Pitt didn't like the way you acted last night. (laughs) I'm like, you mean after I got choked? (laughs) Like, he didn't like the way you acted last night, man. That was going to be your last show with us, so, you know, we'll make sure you get paid for everything you did, and we appreciate you being there with us, but that's the end of the road. And, like, I wanted to go nuts, but at the same time, I was like, well, that's an easy out, isn't it? I I got let off the hook for not hanging out because I just got choked. <laughs> so I was like, "Fine, yeah, all right, man, I get it. Yeah, no worries." But, you know, I don't think I had, you know, I don't think I was cut out for the gig, anyways. <laughs> so I guess the way I'm gonna end this is like this taught me a lot about uh, faking the funk just just for the funds, you know? Like you can't. You can't, like, sell your soul just to make money because you really will find the ass end of that shit quick. Especially, especially when it comes to something like art or music or anything that has to do with creativity. If you're faking it, it will bite you in the ass and it will bite you hard. And so I learned my lesson real well. I hope you guys enjoyed this story.
0: Marcel, the nasty one, Salas, ladies and gentlemen. Get it for him again. I don't run my band like that, man. <laughs> How you guys doing? Come on, give me a little bit. We got our headliner coming up later. There we go, there we go. You guys thinned out a little bit, but I'm really stoked. I wanted this guy to go on last because I really appreciated his story. This is the all-star cast, and um, this guy is great at what he does, and uh, he's a comic, but he's also a person, and he has a story to tell, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. J.P. Cower, come on up.
3: Thank you. Another round of applause for the host, Uncle Scotchy, and the other people that told her stories. Uh, Susie, her ass, put her ass on display here. That's pretty nice. I wish it was still here so I had something to enjoy. How you guys doing tonight? All right. All right. I want to talk about bullies tonight. See, uh, I actually failed sixth grade. And the next year, my mom actually put me in a a diverse school you know it was all it was it was a lot of black people and a white person and uh i ended up getting beat up a lot yeah but that summer i actually graduated from 6th second year hey that summer my mom was a librarian and i ended up checking out a book on karate Because I wanted to learn to protect myself before I went to middle school. So I'm in my room practicing how to wax on and wax off before Karate Kid was a thing. And uh, I get into seventh grade. And I remember I went to this apartment building to go meet some friends. I got there a little early. And this bully showed up. This kid named Mike showed up. He was like a ninth grader. Ninth grade used to be in middle school, in case you didn't know. And uh, he had a couple little of his friends. They were like fifth graders, little kids hanging out with him. And uh, he came up, and he started messing with me. And uh, my father always said, if if you're going to get in a fight, make sure you throw the first punch. So this guy was in my face. And I threw the first punch, and I threw it hard. I was just, I was skin and bones back then. And he went like this. I was scared. And then he throws a punch at me, and I blocked it. He threw another punch, and I actually blocked it. Wax on, wax off, worked. And that's when he looked at me frustrated and kicked me into the nuts. I didn't get to that part in the book. Probably because I was waxing off too much. Okay. Um. And then I was running, holding my nuts, running around a van because now I'm like, I'm hurting and I'm going you're an asshole, you can't fight like a man, and he goes, when I fight, I use everything. And something clicked in my head. I saw a bunch of rocks on the ground, and I started throwing the rocks, and they started fucking scattering. I ended up hitting the the kid in the face with the rock. I didn't hurt him that bad. It did leave a white mark on him, so I was there, I guess, for a minute. Um, And then... And then I was still waiting for my friends after that episode, and they left. Those kids came back. He sent his little minions, the little fifth graders or whatever. They came back with a butterfly knife. And they're coming at me with this knife, one kid holding this knife. And I'm, like, looking around again. I find a board, a two-by-four. I pick it up. And I'm holding it. I'm, like, I swear to God, you better drop that knife. And that kid was so scared, he ended up dropping a knife. I took that knife, and I broke it off in this concrete wall and threw it back at them. Next thing I know, Mike comes back with all of them. And I'm like, oh, no, where are my friends? Where are my friends? I'm by myself. And they're coming. And then all of a sudden, I hear this voice behind me. And he's like, hey, hey. And I turn around. He's like, take this. He threw down a BB gun to me. I've never used a BB gun before. He's like, it's ready to go. And I had the BB gun. Mike sees it, and he actually starts running. And as he's running, I swear to God, I'm running, and I'm aiming, I'm aiming. He runs behind this stop sign, and all you hear is ding. I hit the stop sign. Thank God I didn't hit him. I really don't want to hurt anybody. So that was the end of that. My friends showed up. but the kid never messed with me again, so that was good. But um, I've never liked bullies. I remember when I was even younger. I was about 10, I was about 10, maybe 11. My brother got beat up by the local bully. So I got on my bike. I rode down to that kid's house, and I went up to Kirk. And I said, did you beat up my brother? And he said, yes. And I punched him. And he went like this. I was so scared. So I jump on my bike. And now Kurt is chasing me on my bike. And I keep looking back. I keep looking back. Next thing I know, I wake up in my neighbor's house with a throbbing head. No. It wasn't. She wasn't saving the boy next door. No, actually, she told me I actually ran into a mailbox and knocked myself out. Which is funny because two years later, after the Kinley incident and the Kurt thing, I'm riding on my bike in my neighborhood, and I'm getting to that age. I'm discovering girls, and there's this girl washing a car in a bikini. I'm on my bike. I'm riding my bike, and then I'm looking at her riding my bike. Next thing I know, I run into another mailbox and knock myself out again. At that point, I say, I can't beat them. Join em. I've been a mailman for 24 years. I deliver. But, but I... I'm essential. Thank you. Yeah, but anytime I tell someone a mailman, all they ever say is, "Huh, oh, it's got good benefits." Yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm telling you today. I'm riding out. I'm dri- I got a walking route, but I'm driving out to my route. Okay, I'm driving out to my route, and I'm just thinking. I got 24 years of hearing. Where's my check? Are you finished yet? Is that all of it? They all sound like my ex-wife. But as I'm driving out today, this actually happened. I want to add to this some story. But I'm driving out to my route. I deliver in Miami Beach. And there's an electric Razor scooter guy. He's on it. And he's going down the lane like this. So when he goes in, I go around him. And as I go around him, I get to a red light. He comes up to me right at the red light. He looks at me and he's, you, know, you, you need to learn how to fucking drive. And then he takes off and runs a red light and gets hit by a car. Actually, actually, it wasn't a car. It was a mail truck. See if you got that. Karma gets you real quick. So if you ever ask me if I'm going to go postal, not today. I'm good. (laughs) But actually, the post office has been great to me. Actually, uh, uh, about four years ago, I actually started uh, teaching carriers how to deliver mail. So I'm actually probably responsible for all your fucked up mail. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, when I was teaching it, I was teaching it with comedy. I was just telling them stories about being a mailman. And they were always saying, hey, JP, you're so funny. You should do stand-up. I'm like, no, no. And then I ended up doing this orientation in front of 150 people. And uh, I'm talking, and I'm being serious. No comedy or anything like that. But there's this one guy wearing a hat, matching hat, matching shirt, matching pants. He's sleeping during the class. I have to wake him up. But all of a sudden, in the middle of the class, while I'm talking about something, he holds up an empty water bottle. Like, like, like who does that to even a waiter, right? He holds it up, and he's shaking it. And I go, what's that? And he goes, trash. And then I go, outfit. Outfit. One hundred and forty nine people laughed. So ever since then, I've been doing comedy. Yeah. And uh, it's great, though, delivering mail on South Beach. But it is, you know, you got the elements and everything. And I don't I remember the first day I drive out to my route and most of it's walking. And um, this lady is walking her dog. And as she's walking up to I'm sweating balls. It's hot as hell. Miami Beach, hot as hell. She looks at the sun, looks at me. She goes, is it hot enough for you? I'm like, what the fuck? The second day I see her, it's going to rain. She's walking with her dog. She looks at me, looks at the sky, and she goes, you're going to get rained on. I'm like, of course, that's when I become wep wet-ass postman um (laughs) the third day i can't take this lady because here she comes with her dog she's walking up and i'm like i gotta i can't take her i go to cross the street i stepped in dog shit true story sure enough she comes by looks at my shoe looks at me and she goes i saw that coming I know. I'm glad, to, I'm glad to know that my dog spray works on humans now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Come on. Yeah. All right, guys. It, hey. If you're going to go postal, do it, right? All right. That's the end of my story. Have a good night, y'all.
0: Give it to the great JP Coward, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for the great J.P. Coward, ladies and gentlemen. One more time. Susie Kreidman. Marcel. My story about pooping. Um, thanks for hanging out, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, next week, we're doing something special. We're doing uh, all-female stories. It's called What's Her Story. So, uh, please come and check it out if you can. If not, check it out on the the podcast. But... It's pretty cool. Uh, thanks again for Bar Nancy for having us and, and, and doing this thing. This is our first all-star thing. We're going to be doing more of that. But uh, we're going to be doing more um, specific storytelling. Give for, uh, for Julio, ladies and gentlemen, for recording this and, and doing the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, all the time and showing up. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for hanging out, listening to me telling stories about farting and having sex. And about my dead mom and whatever. And (laughs) that too. Thanks, guys. I hope to see you guys next week for What's Her Story. Thank you.